Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, church, good morning. In the book of Mark, chapter 5, we see that there is a story that records a man's life who is probably the most troubled man um, that we see Jesus encounter in all of Jesus' earthly ministry. We see that this man that we're about to read about, um, he's demonized, he's possessed, he, his, his body is filled with evil spirits, and he's a desperate man. He is, uh, he's been kind of kicked out of his community. Uh, we see he no longer wears clothes. Uh, he lives in the tombs. He's a very desperate man, and he has an encounter with Jesus. And the reason I want to look at the story today in Mark 5 is because I believe that at the end of this story, there is a very powerful principle and a very, very important point for you and I that is valid for today, living in western Colorado today. I, I feel like God wants to speak something to each of us uh, on an individual level out of this text today in Mark chapter 5. So I want to go ahead and just dive right into it. Um, let's go ahead and look here. Mark 5 verse 1, it says this. It says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a very, very desperate man. He's a hurting man. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to me that you won't torture me. Here this man, he, he's been so hurt in his life, he sees Jesus and he assumes that, that Jesus wants to hurt him too. Verse 8, for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Now Jesus is speaking to the demons. He says, come out. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Again, speaking to the demons, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave permission to them. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs, a herd of about 2,000 in number. Man, that is a lot of bacon right there. It should be noted that the demons entered the bacon. Okay? <laughs> that right there will preach. Right? Yet another reason why we shouldn't eat bacon. You know, pigs don't sweat. 
Yeah, think about that for a moment. All those toxins you're enjoying with your breakfast, right? <laughs> but moving right along, anyways. <laughs> you know, it's my job to give you the facts. What you do with those facts, that's completely between you and the Lord, you know? It says, so the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs, those who liked bacon, ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, they were afraid. So they see this guy who's been crazy, and now he's okay, and, and now they see that and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now these last few verses are very interesting. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged, he begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him but said, go home. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I want to take a moment to speak to you this morning from the subject Go home. Would you turn to the person next to you and tell them it's about to get personal in here? Tell them it's about to get personal in here. Because we see a man who was, who was hurting, a man who was tormented, he was troubled, and Jesus frees this man, he heals this man. And apparently, one of the main reasons why Jesus freed the man is so that he could go home and share his story about the goodness of God. So I want to speak to you this morning from the title, Go Home. Hopefully not before we're done with this message, <laughs> but, uh, but go home. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for how you've already showed up in this room. We thank you for how you've already spoken to us. That God, we've, we've encountered you already because of your love you've met with us. And I pray right now that you would get me out of the way. That um, my opinions and my words would stay out of the way. But more importantly, God, your word would reign true in this place, in our hearts, in our lives. And that we would be affected and changed by you today. Thank you for your word. We pray that you would just open up our eyes to see it and our ears to hear it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start off by just saying, uh, I think moms are amazing. Yeah. I think moms are amazing. First off, I'm a mama's boy. You got to know that. I have a wonderful mother. Um, and then I married a wonderful mother. My Omelie is a great mom. I, I, I love her. And, and in fact, not, not just moms, but um, I think single parents are amazing. They deserve some celebration. They go through a lot. Wouldn't you agree? 
They go through a lot of difficulty and a lot of trouble, and I think it's something that we, you know, we can easily just kind of overlook, like it's, it's no big deal what all a mom or a single parent puts up with. But I can remember, um, you know, several years ago, Omni had an opportunity to go to a conference. And, you know, I get opportunities all the time to go to conferences. I've done quite a bit of travel over the last two decades. Um, in fact, uh, e even just for fun, uh, I will regularly take trips to go uh, hunting or fishing or something and be gone for periods of time. She's always been uh, great about giving me those types of opportunities. Well, she had an opportunity to go to a conference when the girls were like, they were probably like five and seven, maybe even a little bit younger than that. Um, she comes up with, with this really cool opportunity that came up. She said, I, I could go down to this conference and receive uh, some training, and it's going to open up a conversa conversation between our church ministry and their church ministry. It's going to be really, really neat. And I thought, this is a wonderful thing. I want to send her to do this. Um, it, it's awesome. She, she's going to be great. While she's down there, she's going to come back filled up and pumped up. It's going to be good for our church. It's going to be good for our marriage. It's going to be good for her. Win all the way around. This is awesome. So I said, do it. We bought the plane tickets. And I remember... I remember the day that we pulled up into the parking lot and I dropped her off at the airport and, and, and I waved at her as she walked into the airport and she left me there alone. Well, at least I thought. I quickly realized that she didn't take the girls with her when she went on the trip. So now here I am. It would have been one thing if I was alone, but now I'm with these two little munchkins that are in the back seat of my car. And, and I thought, this, is, this won't be so bad. I'll be able to handle it. I mean, she, she does this all the time. She spends time with kids all the time. It's not that big of a deal. I can handle this. You know, I am a grown man. I can, I can do this. But quickly, the, the, the seconds turned into minutes, and I started freaking out a little bit. <laughs> I don't know about this. And after, after the, the moments turned into hours, turned into days, I began to question my salvation, right? Have you ever been there, dads? Or you're like, I don't know if I can do this, right? And I think just to pause for a moment, uh, as a man, on behalf of men, I would like to take a moment and apologize to every woman in this room who has ever felt like we have gone to work or gone off on a trip and come back and act like you just relaxed and we did the dirty work and all you did was sit there, right? We are sorry for that and we were wrong and we recognize it, right men? Guys, I am teeing it up for you to win some huge points with your wife. Right, men? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. You deserve that. Because I tell you what, in, in single parents, you deserve some celebration. You deserve some respect. Because I was a single parent for three days. <laughs> And I, I began calling my wife, when are you coming home? And she's like, you've known the itinerary all along. When are you coming home, babe? And, I'm like, and the thing is, I love my kids. My kids are awesome, but it can be tough. And we love the time we have with our children. We love the closeness what we have at home together. But it can be difficult. I mean, because sometimes it's like, it's just, it's just too much. It's just too close. I mean, not another kid touches me, right? Have you ever felt that way? Oh, come on. You guys are making me look like a jerk. Am I the only one in the room that's never felt like nobody else touches me today, right? Yeah. I mean, like, there's two words that should never go together, right? Reunion 
and family, right? We, we, we like it when bands reunite or a duet or something. That's great. But family, I mean, really, can't we just email? I mean, seriously. Uh, but we feel that sometimes. Why? I mean, we, we love who we're at home with. But the truth about home is home can be challenging because home is where the real you hangs out. Home is where there's diapers that need to be changed and messes that need to be cleaned up and there's conflicts that happen and there's, there's homework that needs to be done and there's beds that need to be made and, and the real you hangs out there and, the, and, and your real spouse hangs out there and your real kids hang out there and there's conflicts and sometimes if we were just honest, it could be a lot easier to go to work than it could to go home. And I make up stuff sometimes, and I'll tell Omni, like, you know, I need to just, I need to go spend some time and study and, and, you know, commit myself to ministry and prayer. And, like, so I'm going to go into the basement, and I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to study or watch ESPN or something like that, you know. But I, I, just, I just need a little bit of a break, right? And the truth is, we love everyone in our homes. We love the people that we're closest with in our lives. But it, it can be challenging. Home can be one of the most challenging places for us to minister, for us to spend time. Do you realize that we are the most vacating generation in all of history? Our generation, not only do we, uh, do we spend more time vacationing than any other generation in history, we spend more time thinking about vacation than any other t- uh, generation in history. There's a whole industry based on not vacationing, but the idea of vacation. Like writing magazines about vacationing and, and taking pictures that you can put on your phone or on your desktop or, or laptop to where when you look at it, you feel like you're in some faraway land and I feel like I'm on the beach and I'm fantasizing about being at some other place. Not only do we think about vacationing, we vacate the moment that we're in every day where we carry around our smartphone and we go into a restaurant. Have you ever looked around a restaurant and you think how ridiculous it is that like 95% of the people in the restaurant... They're sitting at tables together, and they've all vacated each other, and they're on the, their, their phones sitting across the table from each other. It's like we, we, we vacate the moment. We're always thinking about somewhere else. It's got to be, if I could just get somewhere else, then, then that's where I'd be happy. I, that's where I could be useful. That's where I really hope to be. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with vacation. There's nothing wrong with cell phones. That, that's not the idea at all, but I wonder if what's happening in our culture idea, this mindset of of constantly thinking about going somewhere else, vacating is actually undermining what Jesus is calling each of us to do individually. Because we see here in Mark chapter 5, you have a man who, he was hurting, he was messed up, he was tormented, his life was a wreck, he was depressed, he was desperate. And Jesus comes along and he's been so hurt by life that he assumes Jesus is going to hurt him too. And he's scared and when he encounters Jesus and Jesus frees him to the point to where now this man is of sound mind. 
And, and he, he, he's excited, like, life is new again. I'm free. I'm not being tormented. I, I could follow my dreams and my hopes and my goals. Like, I, I could do whatever I want to do. I'm pumped. And then he gets all excited. And we see that people start to freak out and go, this, this is different. I don't get this. Like, I, we don't understand why the pigs die. We don't understand why this guy was crazy. And now he's not crazy anymore. So, like, Jesus, can you just leave here because you're freaking us out a little bit? And, and Jesus says, okay, he complies. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to force myself on anyone. I, I'm just here to give you freedom. So if you don't want me here, I'll leave. And he decides to leave. And this man, the Bible says, the man actually begged Jesus. Okay, There's not too many places in Scripture where anyone comes and begs Jesus. But this is one of the places where the man comes and begins begging Jesus. Jesus, will you let me come with you? Like, uh, uh, Imagine what this must have looked like. Jesus is getting in the boat and he's like, no, really, Jesus, I, I don't want to stay here. Can, can I come with you, please? I mean, I don't care. I'll do whatever you want to do. Like, I'll, I'll carry your robe for you. I'll even shine your tevas, you know? I mean, like, you just name it. I'll do it for you. I'm your man, Jesus. I'll do it. You just tell me what you want me to do. And so we see it wasn't for a lack of passion. It wasn't for a lack of, of willpower. It wasn't for a lack of strength that, that, that Jesus doesn't let this man come. We see that actually in this story, Jesus had a much greater assignment for this man. Because instead of letting him just come along and go someplace new. Jesus says, I have an assignment for you. What I want you to do is I want you to go home. You know, th this couldn't have been, you know, th th this was anticlimactic. This was not the what this man hoped to hear. This is not what you and I even reading the story would expect to hear. You know, we think that Jesus would just like come out with some great calling for him. What I want you to do, 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 is go, go, go. To the ends of the earth, 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 earth. You know, that's what we would imagine. It's like, now this man's life's been changed. There's going to be some powerful, amazing, wonderful call to go. And yet what Jesus says, I want you to do is, I, I, I want you to go home. I, I want you to go see your mom. I want you to go find your uncle. I, I want you to go back to those coworkers you used to have, your your ex-boss, your friends, your neighbors. I want, I want you to go talk to them. And what I want you to do is I want you to share with them about the mercy I've given you. I want you to share with them about how compassionate I've been with you. I want you to share with them the love of God. Would you go to your home and share with them how much I love them? Maybe not exactly what he was hoping to hear, but what Jesus said to this man was go home. I mean, it's kind of interesting because we just came off of a series the last couple of weeks uh, about follow me, how Jesus makes it so simple to follow me. And it really, that's just a statement of obedience. He wants us to be obedient to him. So here we see Jesus is saying, I don't want you to like literally step by step by step follow me to a different place. What if follow me, what if being obedient to God says, I'm going to set you in a post and put you in a position where I want you to start telling people about me. I want you to start telling people about my compassion and my love. See, have you ever noticed that in our society, in our culture right now, we view success, um, kind of one of the gauges we use is by where you've been, how far you've traveled, where you've gone. 
You'll see an actor on TV, and, and the actor might say, yeah, I was from just a little small town, but I became an actor, and I got this part and that part, and then I won this award, and look at me now. I'm traveling the world. I was in Australia last week. I'm going to be in Europe next week. We're shooting a scene in South Africa next week. And, and it's like, it's all about, wow, they're, they must have really made it. They're, they're doing something great with their life because they're going. They're, they're going far away. They're, they're, they're going all over the place. It's like, you don't go to a high school reunion and brag about the fact that, like, what have you been doing lately? Well, I'm uh, still in the same store I've been in the last 15 years, so still living in the same house we lived in 15 years ago. It's like no one ever gets excited about that. In fact, I have conversations with people sometimes, and they'll say, Dan, where do you see yourself in 30 years? And I'm like, um, well, I, I see myself planted here in my church, Fellowship Church, 30 years from now. I see myself in Grand Junction. And, and no one has ever been like, Wow, that's amazing. You're crazy, right? Like, really? Just just here? Because our culture, like, it, it puts so much weight on, like, you, you got to go somewhere to be effective. You got to go somewhere to be successful. And, and no one's ever been like, that's amazing. Like, it, would you write a book about your life? Write a book about this. What would that look like? Like, my first 10 years in Grand Junction. Right? Chapter 1. Chapter 2. Ten more years of Fellowship Church. Right? Chapter 3. Ten more years doing ministry work at Fellowship Church. No one gets excited about that because our culture has got this idea that you have to go somewhere if you're going to be successful. And yet we see what Jesus' call to this man is, is very different. And what the, the call to this man's life is, is like the call to the vast majority of those of us in this room. For most of us in this life, when Jesus says go, it's followed up by home. You're, you, you're called to Grand Junction. You're called to your house. You're called to your neighborhood. You're called to your family. You're called to your business to those coworkers. You're called to those other moms on the soccer field. See, when Jesus says go, now don't get me wrong. Please do not get me wrong. Um, there are some in this room that God is calling to go and, and do missions on the other side of the world. That happens. In fact, Fellowship Church happened as a result of that. In 1989, my parents, as missionaries, came to the mission field of Grand Junction, Colorado, and planted Fellowship Church here. So they deserve, they deserve a little round of applause for that. So, so don't get me wrong, we honor and we love and we support missions. And in fact, we see that, that on a regular basis, what we do as a church family is we continue to support missionaries and sending them where they're going. And we have planted churches in Thailand, we've sent people to Cambodia, we've sent people to Pacific Islands, we've sent people to Nepal, all over the world. We support Convoy of Hope every week, one of the very first checks we write 
write out of our checkbook at this church every week is a, a, a check to Convoy of Hope. And the purpose of that is to do mission work across the world. But what you need to know first is that we also write a check every week to the mission field of Grand Junction. And we write a check to Homeward Bound because we're not going to look at the homeless on the other side of the world and ignore the place where Jesus has set us up at and ignore our own mission field here. And we have volunteers in our church that support Latimer House, support battered women. And we have people, and us as a church together, come together, and we, su we support Ariel, which is the foster home facility here in town, because we don't call it an orphanage here in America. So what we do is, the world, it's real easy to go, let's support an orphanage over in Africa, and we can ignore the orphanage here in our own city. So we understand, as a church, it's so very important that we recognize that God placed us here in our home, and he said, I want you to go home. You say, wait a minute, but God does say go to the ends of the earth. Well, have you ever read what he said? Acts 1.8, this is how he says it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. So they lived in Jerusalem. He's saying what you're going to do is you're going to be my witnesses in your home. And then after you're being successful in witnessing in, in your home and you're taking care of your home, then I'm going to send you to the surrounding regions. I'm going to send you to the little cities on the outside. I'm going to send you to Clifton. I'm going to send you to Fruta. I'm going to send you to Mac and Loma. I'm going to send you out from there, out from those regions. Then he says, then after you've been reaching those people, you start at home, then it goes outward and you're going to end up on the other side of the world. People are going to be ministering, talking about my love to the other ends of the earth. Now hit the pause button and think about this for a moment. If you had a globe in front of you right now and you were looking at Jerusalem, you looked at Judea and Samaria and the surrounding regions, Jesus is saying you're going to start here and you're going to go to the surrounding regions and eventually if we turn the globe all the way around, you're going to come to the ends of the earth and there might be a little city there in a state called Colorado, a town named Grand Junction where God's word might need to be preached too. So are you hearing in any way me saying that, that we don't support missions? I, absolutely not. We support missions. But I think what can be very easy for us to do in our own, I, I guess it's just human nature, is we look over the fence and we see the grass on the other side of the fence and think, well, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And if I could just get over there and do some ministry over there, then I'd be effective. If I could travel then, that would be awesome. That would, that would be where the ministry works out. If I could just get to China, if I could just get to Bolivia, if I could just get to Uganda, one of those places, that's going to be where it really I could do some great mission work. I could, I could really effectively do some ministry work for God, and I can tell people about God's love. If I could just get over there. You want to know something and understand something about missions is people in China are sitting together going, man, you know it would be crazy if we could just get to, to the United States 
If we could just get to some of those cities where we could tell those people who are in in such a different culture than we are about Jesus' love for them. We have a human nature to say something is is greener on the other side over there. And if I could just get to the other side, so that the grass is green over there, that's where I could be effective. And man, we've planted churches in Hawaii. We planted, we talked to uh, Lindsey Jackson, great friend of mine who used to work on our staff here, uh, when we sent and planted their church in Hawaii, um, we backed them, we support them, we love them, and they're doing amazing work there. And people go, wow, so you're doing ministry work in Maui. That must be amazing. It must be awesome. You get to hang out on the beach all day long. And he go, it's, it's, it's the same work here as it is there. It's just a different location. And we support, and we send out, and we, we, we send missionaries out from here all the time. You, you've seen it. You, we, we set up booths and do fundraisers for them and stuff like that. But, but when Jesus is talking here to this man, he says to this man what I think a lot of us need to understand is a lot more difficult in some aspects than going to the other side of the world. He says, I want you to go home. Think of how that must have felt for this guy. They they think I'm crazy. (laughs) They kicked me out. They put me in chains. God, like, you want me to go back there? Like, they know all my junk. They know my past. See, the truth is, it's a lot harder sometimes to talk to your uncle about Jesus than it is to talk to a stranger in the Philippines. It's a lot harder sometimes to talk to your, to your mom about Jesus than to just support something that's happening somewhere else. Why? Because they knew you. They knew you when, right? You, you could even ask Jesus. <laughs> you look at Jesus. We're in Mark 5 right now. The very next chapter, Mark 6, Jesus goes to um, minister in his hometown of Nazareth. And when he's there, there are people that are blowing him off like, oh, We've seen this kid running around. We, we remember him from when he was running through the streets here. Isn't that that, that, that carpenter's son? Like, was, how could anything special come out of his life, right? And they totally blew him off. But, but, and, and Jesus left there going, you know, there was no respect for him because he was in his hometown because people knew him when. It is really hard sometimes when God calls you to be around the people who knew you when. You have anyone in this town who knew you when? I do. Man, I know there's a lot of you that, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know my story, and you know there was a dark chapter in my story. You know in my testimony, there was something I'm not proud of. I don't glorify it. Uh, I don't think there was anything good that came of it other than the fact that I want to run in the opposite direction. And that's, I had, I had a part of my past where I got tied up with a bad crowd, and I want And I wanted to do everything wrong. I got tied up in drugs. I got tied up in alcohol. I got tied up in a partying scene. And um, I remember that just a couple years ago, I ran into a guy here in town. I'm not going to tell you his name because some of you might know him. But I ran into a guy here in town, and uh, he goes, Dan Hooper, that's you, right? And he came and he gave me a hug. Well, he was from that chapter. He didn't know any other part of me, right? And and he, he only knew the bad stuff. He only knew the junk. He only knew the stuff that I tried to tuck away. And he gave me a hug, and I, I could still smell it on him. I could smell drugs on him now. A couple decades later, I could still 
smell drugs on him. I knew right where he was. He goes, what have you been up to? What are you doing, man? Where are you working? I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor at Fellowship Church. He goes, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, no, seriously. I'm, I'm not kidding. And I started telling him, like, you got to understand the mercy and the grace that God has extended to me. He's changed my life. I'm different now. I'm not the same person I used to be. And he looked at me, and he almost got offended. He was like, he looked at me like I was crazy. Like, like what are you talking about? Like, he was not okay with my change. Kind of like in this story, the demoniac here we see in the story Everyone was okay with the demoniac while he's naked and chained and screaming and cutting himself. When he's crazy, everyone's like, okay, we're comfortable with that. But Jesus starts to change the guy and heal him and give him a better life. And people go, ah, that freaks me out. I don't know if I'm okay with that. Do you realize there are people in your life that they are totally okay with you being crazy? They're totally okay with you having a messed up family and a messed up situation, your finances being in a mess and your credit cards being maxed out. They're cool with that. But as soon as you start letting God change your life, they're like, what has gotten into you? What is wrong with you? Acting all weird like you're above us or something. They start, the, the Bible said that they, they got afraid when they started to see the great change that happened in this man's life, it can be shocking to people when, when, when you expose what God is doing in your life to the very people who knew you when. And here in this story, we have a man who God gives this call to that I believe just about every person in this room, this is the resounding call. He says, I want you to go home. So you go back to your mom, to go back to your cousins, go back to your coworkers, and tell them about my mercy. Tell them about my love. Tell them about how I changed your life. Tell them about how you're, you're still messed up. You still got your issues. You're not perfect, but you're not who you used to be because I'm changing you. And do you realize God has put you right where he put you for this purpose right now? That the work of God in your life is not that we try to somehow get away from our side of, of the world and go somewhere else and minister, but we start here at home. Because if every one of us start peeking over the fence and thinking, if the ministry work is over there, then what happens to your home? What happens to Grand Junction? What happens to your street? If everyone in this room is just like, yeah, we got to go somewhere else, then what is going to happen to your kids? What's going to happen to our schools here? God placed us here for just this time. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to go home first. I want, I want you to go and tell them about my love. Tell them about how much I care for them. See, what, what gets me excited is seeing people who understand this principle and who will live their lives planted where God tells them to plant. You know, because I, you, let's call it out in this generation. In my generation, then the generation that's following me, the millennials, the, um, there's this idea of we're always looking for the next experience. If I could just get the next moment, the, the next spiritual high, the next conference, the next retreat, the next um, whatever you are looking for, the, the next something, that's going to be where it is. The next humanitarian effort. If I can get that, and they're bouncing all over the place, and, and, and 
there's a saying that I, I love the saying. I don't know where it came from, but, but someone once said, a, a shooting star never helped a lost hiker. And see, what impresses me is the people that, that hear the call from God to stay rooted, to stay planted, to push away the offenses that the enemy is going to throw at you, to try to get you to leave one church and go to another, to another, to another, to go to another city, to go to another this, to go to another that. It's always just these things to try to get you unplanted where Jesus is saying, I want you to go home. Minister to those people. Tell them about my love, about my compassion. And then what happens is once, once you are stable like that, once you're going, I'm going to be planted where God planted me, then when other people's worlds start falling apart and they start feeling shaky, they can start to look and go, wait a minute. I don't know what it is about this person, but this person, they're standing still, and, and if God changed their life, if God helped them, if he saved their marriage, maybe there's a chance he could save mine. And then we could start to become the type of people who are declaring God's love in our city in a, an effective and a powerful way. Every person in this room is a missionary. Every person in this room has been called by God to the mission field of your family first, of our city, of Grand Junction, and we are to affect change. We are not going to look to the other side of the world and step over the orphans and the widows and the homeless in our own city first. I believe with all of my heart that the local church is the hope of the world. I believe with all of my heart that when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he is saying my game plan is the local church. My game plan that I'm going to do, what, what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to build my church in the world, and my church is going to be what affects change. My church is going to be what helps people. It's going to show people my love. It's my church. That's my plan. The Bible says I will build my church. Jesus is doing two things right now. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's building the church. Okay, in, in building the church, he, he's saying I put you there for a reason, so you got to hear me. Some of you are frustrated with your job positions. You're frustrated with who you're working with. You're frustrated with your families. You're frustrated with where you're at right now. And, and, and God put you there in the middle of those frustrations to shine the light of Jesus Christ in the middle of that situation. Would you stand with me? I believe there's many of us in this room that have been praying, God, would you send someone to reach my family? Would you send someone to reach my workplace, my boss, my coworkers, our city? Send someone, and God is saying, I already sent you. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you placed us here in Grand Junction, Colorado because you love the people in Grand Junction, Colorado. You placed us here in our families because you love our families. 
Uh, you placed us here where we have influence with coworkers that other people don't have because we're on assignment to tell them about your mercy and your compassion and your love. So God, I pray right now for every person in this room that you would affect us, that you would affect us in such a way that people would go, whoa, what's going on with you? You're different. It doesn't make sense. Explain to me the change. God, we wouldn't be able to point to ourselves, but we would only be able to point to you. So God, I pray that you would give us a new passion today. In this room, ignite, please, Heavenly Father, a new passion and a new love, your love for our city, for our coworkers, for this beautiful valley that you've placed us in, this reservoir of your love. We thank you, God. Be with each and every one of us and help us as we leave this room to recognize we're not just leaving a church service, but we're walking into our mission field. We thank you, God. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you again next week.